You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm Brandon Ware. And I'm Jess O'Reilly, your friendly neighborhood sexologist. When it comes to sex, you no longer have to have the talk with your kids. But you do want to have multiple conversations and keep them going. Start naming their genitals from the time they're babies. Talk about where babies come from and how they are made as soon as they are curious at an age-appropriate level. And keep talking about relationships, sex, and even porn in their preteen and into their teen years. Today, we will be chatting with Nadine Thornhill, sexuality educator, author, and Toronto-based consultant. But first, let's take a moment to go back to celebrity relationships, because last week, we talked about Aisha Curry. And Steph Curry. And Steph Curry. Yeah. yeah. I think the takeaway was that Brandon is not Steph Curry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. Okay, I am not Steph Curry. Well, that's actually the perfect segue into what I want to talk about, which is, you know, sarcasm in relationships. And I have a bit of a sarcastic sarcastic sense of humor. Very dry. A lot of people don't get me. Is that, hold on, is that what you say when people don't laugh at your jokes? That never happens. You just don't get me. It's like art. You don't get it. That never happens. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) People may not laugh, but somebody laughs. (laughs) Somebody's laughing. Can I tell you, actually, one thing I notice is that you laugh at all of my jokes, even the little ones under my breath. It's why you think I'm so sexy. (laughs) Isn't that one of the things you're supposed to, if the person finds you funny, that they think you're more attractive or some iteration of that? It always makes me feel really loved, though. I always think, oh, man, this guy gets me. And the reason I'm bringing up celebrity relationships once again is that I see that John Legend has a, I don't know if it's an Instagram show, trailer sessions. Trailer talk, isn't it? Oh, trailer talk? Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Uh, it's trailer sessions. No, I don't actually know. Brandon's a John Legend fan. I'm a huge John Legend fan. We got to go to his concert a couple years ago, and it was really a powerful, moving concert. He's a talented man. There are a few performances that I've seen in my life and a few things. And that performance was incredible. Mm-hmm. It was so powerful. The He's an incredible performer. And the funny thing is you weren't even really a fan until after you went to the concert because <laughs> it was me who wanted to go. I went. We came home and I bought like all of his albums and started listening to everything right away. But there was some really powerful messages in his performance as well about Black Lives Matter um, you know, obviously racial inequality, like th- there was more than just a performance. There was a message in that performance. That's right. And now that he's achieved this level of fame, he no longer has to sing what they tell him to sing. He can make music about what matters to him. And that was readily apparent in that performance that he can make music and, um, convey messages that matter to him. He has a song about it, actually. Which one? Uh, do you need me to, do you need me to sing it? You need me to go? Okay. All right. I was oh, are you really going to try? Uh, no. Okay, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> I have a really, really bad voice. How about I just say the words and then you can sing it. So some folks sing what they want or what they know. We're already not getting very far You here. don't know it? Some folks sing what they know. 
sing what they want. Come on, help no, me. No, I actually don't know what song this is. Are we going to have to delete this whole episode? Is this a two-pack song that you're trying to home Are right you now? joking? <laughs> anyway. Okay. Uh, so John Legend was hosting his Instagram show and Chrissy Teigen came on and they were adorable together and she was joking around. She's very funny. She's also very sarcastic. And um, there were some mean messages directed at Chrissy on the Instagram post. Some people just saying that John is so likable and she is so unlikable. I always wonder who writes stuff like that. Are you very likable if you're willing to just insult a stranger? Maybe people had more of an issue with what she supports. I don't think so. No? No. I mean, both of them share the same politics. No, I I know they do. I just respect her more for throwing back at certain people. Oh, that's right. She did get in the big fight with Trump. Yeah. Right, on Twitter. So did he, though. I think he chimed in. I I could be wrong on that. But let's go to the issue at hand. So one young woman writes that and I don't have the exact quote I can't find it now because the guy has a gazillion comments on his on his Instagram so I read it earlier basically that she doesn't like how Chrissy is talking to John in this clip Chrissy should be more supportive especially when people are watching and not cut her man down with the sarcastic jokes so I rewatched the clip I didn't really see her cutting him down it seemed like they were joking around with consensually healthy banter And again, I think I just wanted to bring this up before we get started with Nadine to remind, offer a reminder that our commentary on other people's relationships usually reflects our own issues with our own relationships. You don't know John and Chrissy. Only I know John and (laughs) (laughs) Chrissy. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, who are you to comment on somebody else's relationship and what and how they're interacting with one another unless... You have, you're privy to something that none of us know. Right. And first of all, is your comment helpful? Do you think that Chrissy's going to sit back and say, oh man, you know what? I really do need to look at the way I talk to John because this stranger who doesn't know anything about our dynamic has shown me the light. Or do you think John <laughs> is going to look at it and say, oh yeah, you know what? This woman whom I love deeply, who I share this wonderful life and happy relationship with, who with whom we we share mutual respect and love and care and tenderness and hilarity. I thought it was good, but this stranger's telling me it's not. Her sarcasm is is probably more than I should be willing to take. Come on, folks. Yeah, Steve from Michigan really shed some new light on our relationship. You know what? I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. And it's not helpful. So, you know, just a reminder that celebrities are people too. And also that if you are feeling inclined to comment on someone else's relationship, just take a look at your own and see what you can work on. Because I, I I, can be like this. I can be a hater at times, not with John and Chrissy because they're so awesome. But I catch myself when I'm hating on someone else, if I feel something towards someone else, it's usually because I got something to work on. And I have lots of stuff to work on. Yeah, I think if you took that to heart and started focusing in, every time you wanted to critique somebody else, you just took a second to look at where that may be originating, you probably would make the comments and you'd be a much better version of yourself. Before we invite Nadine to join us, we want to shout out Desire Resorts and Cruises with two clothing optional properties on the Mayan Riviera and multiple high-end beautiful cruises in the Mediterranean and in the Greek Isles. They've created a vacation experience for couples unlike any other. It's a place where you can let loose, be yourself and really reconnect with your partner and not just sexually but in intimate ways that can last for months and beyond so make sure to check out 
Desire Experience on Instagram to learn more. Now it is our pleasure to welcome Nadine Thornhill, sexuality educator, author, consultant, based in Toronto, Ontario, my almost neighbor. Yes, yes. You used to live in my old neighborhood. That's right. Yeah. And I think for most Americans, we're close enough that we would be in the same neighborhood. I could yeah, be, I, I could, think so. Yeah. Absolutely. I could walk to your house. You could. Yeah. It would be a bit of a walk, but it's doable. You know, I was in Atlanta last weekend. You probably know Marla Renee Stewart. She's another sexuality yes, educator. I, yeah, I know of her. Yes, definitely. So she had a fabulous wedding. Ooh. It was a sexy military theme. What? Because her partner, Esther, was, I believe, a captain in the U.S. Marines. Oh, my God. Yes. And anyhow, no one seems to walk in Atlanta, except along the Beltline, which is a walking path. Okay. But I walked all the way from downtown to way beyond Midtown, and I was the only person on, I walked, I think, 16 kilometers that day. Wow. I think I was the only person on the streets the whole time. I saw the photos of the Beltline. It looked incredible. Yeah, the Beltline is this development area in Atlanta where they're developing 33 kilometers of mixed-use trails. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and there are restaurants and cafes all along them. Oh, that sounds... And Atlanta has such lovely weather all year round, so that makes total sense. Exactly. Yeah, take advantage of it. Yeah, everyone I talked to there was a transplant from the Northeast, (laughs) right? Every (laughs) Uber driver, I said, what brought you here? They're like, I was cold in Jersey. Yeah. Well, just for reference, it's three degrees in the middle of May here in Toronto. Okay, so three degrees is about... 40 degrees for the Americans. Which isn't normal for American listeners. Americans often think that it's cold here all the time. It's not. Like, this is often when the summer weather starts to kick in. So this is, this is unacceptable to me. Well, the American headlines last week were that Canada gets snow. So some Americans were saying, oh, it must be snowing where you're at. I said, no, that's way out in Calgary. Yeah. I'm much closer to New York than I am to Calgary. Exactly. Although the weather does blow. But it's okay because life is good. Now, Nadine, you have a new YouTube series slated for release. Tell me about it. So I am co-hosting a new series called Sex Ed School, and the series is aimed at tweens and their families. So our target demographic is uh, sort of the 9 to 12-year-old range. And the premise of the series is that we are actually in a classroom. I am one of two teachers, and we have a class of about, uh, I believe it's 10 students, uh, all different ethnicities and, you know, all different ages. We've got some who are, you know, older kids and some who are just on the cusp of becoming teenagers. And um, there are eight episodes to begin with, and each episode features a different topic. So our very first episode, we're talking about consent. Uh, We have an episode on gender. We have an episode on kissing. Uh, We have an episode on genitals. And yeah, it's been a really wonderful experience. We shot it uh, about two months ago now, and it was phenomenal. I can't wait for people to see it. I can't wait for people to see our classroom and our students. Um, They were just phenomenal. Every single kid we had was amazing. And, you know, they're just regular kids. You know, they're not actors or anything. They're just kids who are curious and smart and bright and have all kinds of questions and are curious about, you know, their bodies and the world and identity and all sorts of things. So... I feel like those topics aren't just for tweens. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like consent, kissing, genital parts. I bet you most adults could learn a lot from this. And that's what we're hoping. You know, the we're it's aimed towards kids and it's very kid friendly, but 
what we're hoping is that you know their parents and their families will sit down and watch it with them and will realize that you know not only can you actually discuss these topics with kids in an ad a developmentally appropriate way but you know we're hoping that they will learn things also because something that I've realized as an adult is that there are a lot of gaps in our own knowledge about you know our bodies and our relationships with people and so you know sort of learning these things as our kids are learning them sort of helps to fill that in for us too. That's really one of the challenges as a parent mm -hmm. is that we're expected to talk in a sophisticated and expert way about these topics about which we have our own hang-ups. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even having the job that I have and having done this for over a dozen years now, I still find when I'm talking to my own child that I bump up against things or I think, you know, man, I really have my own issues around this that I still have to work through or... I'm not sure exactly how to say this to him because this is nothing that anyone ever talked to me about when I was his age. So, you know, what exactly is the language that I used to, you know, help him understand something that I only learned about, you know, when I was in my 20s or in my 30s? It can be easier to give advice than to follow it because when you're helping a client or you're coaching another parent or even talking to another child, you don't have this sense of responsibility that you have to your own child. No, absolutely not. I don't have the emotional investment. And I'm also prepared. When I go in to speak to a parent, when I go into a classroom, I know exactly why I'm there. I know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, I, you know, refreshed my mind the night before, you know, done all my research. I have all my notes. Whereas my child has a real talent for asking me questions <laughs> when I am not prepared at <laughs> all at the, you know, Least Im least opportune times, you know, when we're on the subway and then he suddenly decides to ask me something about semen. And I'm like, what? <laughs> ah, but I don't know. Um, yes, so it's completely different. Um, and that's something that I try to emphasize when I work with parents is don't feel like you have to do this perfectly or you have to have all the answers at your disposal because even as someone, you know, who is an expert, I don't. Um, I mess up constantly. I make mistakes. I have to go back and correct myself, and that's part of it. You know, parenting is hard. It's a lot. Um, you don't have to be perfect at it. You don't even have to be great at it most of the time. You know, it's fine if you're just fine at it. It's okay. You need to feed them. Yeah. Make sure they get some rest. Yep. Love them. Do your best. Right. And they, they'll be okay. And hope, and you know, hopefully instill in them. A good amount of self-confidence. I always think that if there's one thing I could give my child, it would be a really strong sense of self. Yeah. Because all of the other skills use or require a sense of self as your foundation. And stem from that. Absolutely. Okay. So you're talking about educating your children and, and parents and their own hangups. And you're a sexual health educator with mm -hmm. dozen, well, over a dozen years of experience. Yeah. Do you think, so I went to a Catholic high school. I'm not Catholic, but I went to a Catholic high school. Hang on. Why'd you go to a Catholic high school? I went school? there to play hockey. Okay. okay? <laughs> That's the truth. Also for people, we live in Ontario. Brandon grew up here and those are publicly funded schools. So you can go there for free. Yes, I did. And I had five years of uh, religious studies and the extent of our sexual health education included the rhythm method. And that was about it. Yikes. And for those of you that don't know the rhythm method, because I didn't know what it was, it's the, um, the partner in a relationship times their cycle and you have sex around that time when they're most fertile. So my, 
Top my, foreplay. Yeah, it's super <laughs> yeah. hot. And, and you can imagine a 15-year-old trying to spit that out. Yikes. So my question is, do you think that the adults that are teaching today their children to their children mm-hmm. sexual health um, are doing a good job? And if they are or they aren't, do you think that the children who are going to be parents in like 10 <laughs> or 20 years because of how much information they're getting now are going to be better adjusted to their own sexuality? That is my hope. And that's part of why I'm so passionate about working um, with groups of people who either work with kids or working with kids directly myself. Because I see that for, you know, parents of my generation, we got, you know, some sex ed, some of us in the Catholic school system, some of us in the public school system. Um, But again, there were a lot of things missing. And so while I think that a lot of parents, or at least the parents I work with, are doing the best they can with the resources and the information they have because the information they've been given is limited, because the education they received was, you know, limited and very restricted in a lot of ways, you know, um, a lot of the education we got was very heteronormative, you know, even something like the rhythm method, method assumes that you're having heterosexual sex, um, likely in the context of a marriage, that one of your goals um, around sex has to do with pregnancy, either avoiding it or making it happen. That's all incredibly narrow. Um, And so we as parents, yeah, we often struggle because, you know, when our children are, you know, thinking around things like gender or sexual orientation and really getting into the expansiveness and diversity of sexual experience, we often feel you know, overwhelmed and, you know, it's, it's too much and it's not, but if you don't have the resources, if you don't have the knowledge, it feels like too much. And so my hope really is that if we can give our children a more comprehensive education, um, that yeah, when they come, when they get to teach their children, they'll be a little bit more prepared, and then those children will be even more prepared. And that you know, as we move through the generations, eventually we'll get to a point where you know sexuality is normal, and the diversity of sexuality is normal, and it isn't scary and overwhelming to people. It's just one aspect of the human experience, like emotions are diverse and intelligence is diverse and you know everything about human beings is is diverse and complex and that's fine and it's it's embraced in so many other areas exactly so cultural diversity is something we celebrate i often talk about comparing food to sex absolutely and and how now everybody wants to say they've eaten things that nobody else has eaten and explore different food experiences and how those food experiences intersect with family and culture and the way we gather but with sex, we have this narrow, narrow view. And if we had that of, uh, with food, we'd be losing out. And I think we really are losing out sexually as well. Now, I want to talk about porn. All right. Because talking to kids about porn is now a, an important part of parenting. And I do think it can feel very overwhelming. I think a lot of parents try and avoid it because they don't know where to begin. Mm-hmm. They're not sure how to approach it. They struggle with their own sexual hangups mm-hmm. around porn and their own erroneous beliefs around porn. We know that adults tell us that they've learned about sex from porn. Yeah. And they should, we as adults should be able to differentiate between reality and fantasy. We do it with other movies, but with porn, somehow it still exists as a standard. So why do we need to talk about porn with our kids? What is the cost of not talking about porn? 
So there are a few reasons. So we know from research that children are able to access pornography fairly easily um, and they're accessing pornography at a relatively early age. Now there's a lot of alarm around that, but what I find is interesting is there, did, there wasn't a lot of research about when people accessed porn earlier, um, you know, and I can, this is completely anecdotal, but I can say that I saw, you know, my first penthouse magazine, I think when I was around 10, um, you know, I was in a convenience store with my cousin and we were like, oh, what are those magazines? Like high, high up. And the clerk wasn't watching and we, you know, opened one and we're like, oh. um, you know, so sometimes I think there's a belief that they're exposed to it so much younger. And I'm not sure that they are, but the access is much easier um, because porn just exists on our, you know, magical connected rectangles, whatever kind that you we know have. how hard it was to get porn when Yeah, I was a like kid, you man. had to work for it, you know? Somebody had, a, a, you know, some movie and it was amazing. Somebody yeah. would discover that their parents had some vault of porn and it was spectacular. Absolutely. But like, Whoa. like finding that was like finding gold. Yeah. And now it's just, it's just there. Um, you know, so many kids have smartphones or iPads or they're on their laptops and they can find it. And, you know, I think when we don't talk to our kids about porn, the thing is that children and most of us are not exposed to um, sex in real life because in our culture, sex is something that happens Privately, it's intimate, it's behind closed doors. And like a lot of people, um, kids get to a certain age and they're just curious. You know, oftentimes they stumble across porn by accident because they're just sort of Googling something around sex and they, you know, don't have the Google skills to be really specific in their search. And so if you Google sex or naked people, porn is usually what's going to come up first. And then that's, that's what they have. And so... What we don't want is we don't want our kids growing up with this expectation that sex in real life is like sex in porn, because it's not. The comparison that I often make is kids may watch movies with car chase scenes, and they're exciting, and they're dynamic, and they're loud, and they're professionally shot, and they understand that that is not what driving is like in real life. But part of the reason they really understand that is because most children have been around regular cars and regular drivers. They've been driven around in cars, um, most likely, and even if they haven't, they've seen cars being driven on the road. And they're like, yeah, most of the time when we drive, it does not end in explosions and someone you know, banking up on the sidewalk and taking out a bunch of pedestrians before they crash into a restaurant. That's not what driving is. Um, and so with with porn, there isn't that same real life comparison. And so it can set up a lot of really unrealistic expectations about, you know, everything from, you know, what your body is supposed to be like to, you know, um, you know, just what sex acts are available to you because a lot of mainstream porn, it's, you know, oral sex, oral sex, and then penetration for like 45 minutes, you know, without, you know, any kind of, I don't even like to call it foreplay, but just like any kind of non-penetrative sex to get people excited. And, and I think it can confuse 
them about the pizza industry as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they think that when a pizza arrives, right. also the sex arrives. No, that's not how it works. We're ordering pizza for dinner tonight. Oh no, I saw a movie yesterday. <laughs> um, you know, you certainly can incorporate some eating of the pizza into your sex life, but it's probably not going to be with the delivery person. <laughs> well, that's my big uh, hang up or my big gripe with porn. If you're going to order the pizza, could you at least eat the pizza first? Thank you. Sex is good, but pizza, you, you paid pizza for that. Exactly. And really bigging me up here. <laughs> you know, eat it when it's hot. Unless you like cold pizza and then order it, have sex, eat it after. Um, Just show them eating the pizza, people. Absolutely. I want to know that someone ate that pizza. Clearly hung up with food right now. Yeah. <laughs> I am a little bit hungry. So what do we do when you realize or learn or stumble across the fact that you're preteen, let's say you're 12-year-old because mm -hmm. you have a 12-year-old, you see that they have watched porn, they've, yeah. they've been on some porn sites. What is your advice to parents? So my first bit of advice is walk away, take some time for yourself because it can be really, really alarming. Um, you know, there's this tendency to think of our children as being children and sort of being younger than they may feel that they are. And so even just that evidence that my child is having sort of an adult-ish experience can be really jarring and upsetting. And so, you know, step back take some calming breaths, walk around the block. You know, even if you have to take like a day or two or three to kind of get your head right, do that. You know, nothing, you know, life-changing is going to happen if you take a couple of days just to get your head on right. Whereas if you go in and start screaming at them and yelling at them and just going with your first impulse, which is like, never look at this, ah, that can do a lot more damage than just kind of leaving it for a day or two. Um, and while you're sort of, once you get calm, really sort of think about, you know, what are my values around this? What are my values around sex? What are my values around pornography? What are my values around explicit material? Just so you can go in and talk to your kid clear-headedly. And my, uh, the next piece of advice is to understand that it's very common and normal that kids, particularly once they're in puberty, are going to be uh, not only curious about sex, they want to know what it looks like, they want to know what, you know, other people's bodies look like. Um, they are often somewhat erotically motivated, and so seeing a naked body is exciting. Um, you know, it can make you feel good, and that sexual pleasure is, again, it's very normal, it's very pleasant, it feels good. And none of those things make your kid a bad person, none of those things make you a bad parent, none of those things make your child abnormal. And then when you sort of had some time to process those things, you know, you can go in for the talk and, you know, talk about the fact that, you know, again, it's really normal to have these feelings. It's really normal to be curious. Um, it's really normal to see another, you know, naked human being or a human being in a sexual situation and feel aroused by that. And then you can talk about your values piece, you know, whatever that is. Um, if I was talking to my child, I would say that, you know, I think that, you know, there are a lot of people who enjoy pornography, but it's something that is produced for adults, um, that if you haven't had sex, if you haven't engaged in sex, that it's going to give you sort of a, a very, a, a, it's not going to give you an accurate idea of what sex is like in real life. And I, I would use that car chase comparison. I'm like, pornography is a movie. Um, it's not real. That's not how sex works in real life. 
Um, and I would talk about the fact that I think, you know, at this age, you know, if you're like 12 or 13 or whatever, you're probably a little young to be getting most of your sexual ideas from pornography. And then what I would try to do is I would try to make sure that there were sort of alternative resources available, um, you know, and ones that, you know, may have some nudity in it and may be a little bit more explicit about sex and how it works. And I know from my child, if I just handed them to him, he wouldn't take them uh, because <laughs> who wants to get, you know, sexually explicit material from your, your mom. mom? What's that? It's my mom's version mm, of porn. <laughs> okay. That's not fun. Um, but I would just sort of make sure that, you know, he was aware that it was around and then I would probably just, you know, back off and, you know, give him a little space and time that if he wanted to go and look at those things, there they are. Do you think that children are waiting until they're 11 or 12 with access to Google? Like, I would have assumed that it would have been younger that they're finding these sites. And I think that that can happen. What often happens, though, with younger kids is because they're not what we would call erotically motivated. Um, Porn often doesn't hold a big draw for younger kids because as soon as they start seeing two people interacting and, you know, they're naked and it's getting, you know, you know, just there are lots heavy. of fluids and heaviness and it's, they're like, oh my God, that's disgusting. When they see the fluids, that sounds like me. Yeah. yeah they're like, whoa, much. <laughs> that's why? Um, but they access it for a different reason, I think. Mm -hmm. I think it has to do with the curiosity, yeah. the unknown the fact that it's something secretive, it's something that they've never seen in real life. Yeah. And I like that you differentiate between, for example, the 12 year old may be looking for the erotic motivation because yeah. it feels nice to feel that way in your body. Absolutely. Whereas an eight year old might be just looking at a curiosity. So you gave some very specific and helpful advice on how you would talk to your 12 year old. If this happened when they were eight, mm -hmm. It, you'd be dealing with it in a different way. Yeah, So absolutely. how might you approach them if if you saw that your eight-year-old had been on a porn site? Yeah. And your, your child is probably less likely to access it because you are so open about sexuality. They can ask questions about sex. I'm sure they had different books about sex when they were younger. Um, he, yeah, had lots of books about sex when he was younger and whatnot. But, you know, I also want to be realistic because he is now 12. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I said, there's also that just that like erotic arousal piece. So, you know, that's not something that I've really been offering him because, again, nobody wants that from their mom. Right. Um, but, yeah, with an eight-year-old, I think you can go, again, calm yourself if that's something you need to do, um, go in, you can just say, oh, you know, I see that you stumbled across this maybe when you were looking for something. Did you have a question or was there something that you wanted to know about? I think that's a good place to start because oftentimes, again, that's what it is. They were just, I just wanted to know something. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes it can be they heard something from a friend. Um, I know something that seems to come up a lot with kids in that age range, like the sort of the seven to nine corridor is um, they'll hear something like somebody will have said blowjob. Mm -hmm. They're like, what is a blowjob? Like, I don't even understand. They'll Google it and then, you know, what happens. Um, so yeah, if you can say like, you know, were you trying to find something? Is there something you want to know? Did you want to ask me a question? And your kid might say, well, yeah, you know, so-and-so in my class was talking about a blowjob. What is a blowjob? At which point, answer the question, you know, in a fairly simple way. And It's my, when you put your lips it, on yeah, a penis. On a penis, yeah. And or, that's uncomfortable for a lot of parents. And I think a lot of kids are going to not delve in deeper. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, I can, I can say now that I have answered that question for quite a number of people 
of young, like kids. And I have never had any follow-up question <laughs> other than why would anyone do that? Ew. And then they just drop it. Because again, they're not erotically motivated. It is not something that seems appealing to them. It seems probably at best absurd and at worst utterly disgusting to them. Um, and so then, and then it's usually over. And like I said, yeah, if they have stumbled across someone doing it online, they are probably horrified and never want to see that again, or they don't think they ever want to see it again. And so, yeah, you can just say to them, you know what, if you ever find something like that on the computer again, um, just come and tell me, just let me know, um, and we can handle it. And again, if you can say it in that sort of gentle, non-judgmental way, you know, they didn't do anything wrong, it was an accident, uh, that increases the likelihood that they're going to actually come to you as opposed to if you go with your initial freak out, and then they're going to be like, I'm scared. I find that really helpful. I also want to talk about body image yeah. with young folks because it has always been very difficult to love your body because yeah. of all of the messages. And I think that there are more mediums <laughs> that might be posting images or posting mm -hmm. messages that create shame around our bodies, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. If you look like an Instagram model with big lips and a big butt, people are criticizing you. If you don't have a big butt or your butt is too big or your lips are too big or too small or whatever it is that is on vogue, mostly by European beauty standards mm -hmm. at the moment, no matter what, people are critical of your body. So what has changed about the way we talk to young people about body image? So I think something that has changed is that we actually talk to young people about body image, which is not something that I remember hearing a lot about when I was growing up. I definitely remember hearing a lot of body commentary, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as someone who's always sort of tended towards being thin. For me, it was a lot of random approval, you know, even when I was a child, uh, that was very confusing to me because, you know, instinctively I sort of knew like, I didn't, I didn't do anything. I don't understand why people are talking to me as though I've accomplished something. And then what I also heard was, uh, a lot of caution, you know, with other people who maybe weren't as thin about, you know, watching their weight and, oh, this person is getting a little big. This person is getting a little bit thick. Ooh. And so now I think at least we're, conscious enough that we are trying to navigate these conversations with our kids about, you know, body acceptance and how they're just, you know, there are a diversity of, of bodies out there and everybody is a good body. But some, something I think that we do need to be conscious of as parents is that we know our kids are sort of navigating all of this and the images are coming at them, you know, fast and furious, even more so than people our age when we just had magazines and TV and that was enough. Mm -hmm. um, I think something that we can really be conscious of is how we talk about our own bodies, particularly if we're raising kids. Um, because I remember for me, that was more influential than anything else I ever saw, was listening to the way my mother talked about her own body and listening to my mother being critical of her own body and thinking to myself, I never want to feel like that about my body and sort of equating that sort of, you know, hypercriticalness with having a bigger body, that that was just something that you were obligated to do. So, you know, especially, well, not even just for women. I'm just like, really watch how you're talking about and how you are treating 
your body because your kids will pay attention to that. And the other thing I think we can do is that when we hear our kids, you know, because they will invariably pick up these social messages about, you know, this is a good body, this is a bad body, you know, I want a body like this, I want a body like this, I don't want a body like this. It's just asking them questions and helping them to sort of think through what are you actually saying and thinking? It's not necessarily something that they're, it's going to click for them right away, you know. It's something that they have to process over time. But, you know, if they, if you hear your kid talking about someone being fat in a negative way, as though that's a character flaw, you know, say to them, well, why is, why do you think that's bad? You know, why, why do you think it's bad to be fat? You know? I don't know if I've ever told this story on the podcast, but when I was a kid, I remember... I I was going to hold the door in grade one. So you got to hold the door while all the other kids were going in from recess. Yeah, I I I remember that. I was definitely, uh, I was probably a teacher's pet. And so I often got to hold the door. And I remember this woman, woman, she was also in grade one. So this girl Mm -hmm. came up and was pissed at me and she stomped on my foot. And I went home and I said to my mom, and I won't say her name, but I said, so-and-so stomped on my foot. She's fat. And my mom backed me up and she said, is that a good thing or a bad thing why you're saying mm. she's fat? And I said, she's fat. And, you know, I was, I was, I used it in a very derogatory way. And my mom said, you know, maybe she stomped on your foot because other people aren't nice to her because she's fat. You're making fun of her for being fat. This is how I remember my mom saying it. And my mom was always uh, what we call pearls of wisdom person. Mm. So I was, I think, six years old because I was in first grade. And I remember how young I was because you got to move to the bigger playground when you're in second grade. So <laughs> I was, I was the eldest I could have been was, the oldest I could have been was first grade. And my mom said, you know, why don't you try talking to her? Why don't you try being friends to her? Maybe people aren't that nice to her. And so I, I became, I, you know, I went and talked to her because my mom made me. And I turned, it turned out I really liked her and she invited me over and I will never forget that when I got to her house, her mom looked at me and said, look how cute and skinny you are. Oh. Look how fat so-and-so my daughter is. And as a six-year-old in my head, I remember thinking, God damn, my mother was right. This poor girl, not only does she face this level of discrimination at school, but she's getting shamed at home. Now, of course, I, I don't think I thought it in those words. Of course, yeah. And I even remember being invited to her birthday party at Douglas Snow Swimming. <gasps> that was such a great pool. It was such a cool pool. It had a slide. It yeah. had ropes. It had these rubber mats you could run across. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So this is a Toronto thing. It's nice to have another Toronto <laughs> guest. All these things that you would be death traps and legal lawsuit <laughs> issues today. Yeah. It's the best pool. Yeah. These fun things don't exist anymore in the same way. Anyhow, at... At her birthday party, I'm a little, I eat a lot, and I was going for more and more donuts. And her mom said, no, 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 I don't want you to get fat. No donuts for you. And I thought, oh, my goodness, another layer this poor little girl is dealing with. And it always went back to, and it always comes back to, that my mom was right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. In everything we do. And I, I think one of the real struggles with talking about porn and with talking about body image is that we have to unpack our own stuff first. Absolutely. And so I think that's almost, that's a gift you give your kids and it's a double whammy because you're taking care of some stuff for yourself as well. Absolutely. And and sometimes when you're unpacking it, you can be honest with your kids about, you know, I, you know, for a long time, I've had a really hard time because, you know, 
people were always talking to me about how I had to have a certain kind of body and I still feel really bad about that. Um, and I hope that, you know, I don't make you feel like that. Or you can say, you know what? Um, yeah, you know, sex is, sex is tough for a lot of people to talk about. It's hard for me to talk about too sometimes. So yeah, you know, when I, you know, find out that, you know, you've seen something on the computer, sometimes, you know, it makes me feel kind of weird and it gets, you know, I feel a little awkward about it. You can be honest about that stuff with your kids too, because we all have hangups and confusions and complex feelings around that. And it can be really reassuring for them to know that, it's not just them who are, you know, kind of trying to navigate all of this and don't have all the answers. Yeah, I find that probably the most important piece of advice is that, as you said from the get-go, you don't have to be perfect. And when you admit to your kids and to your partner and to yourself that you're not, you can have more meaningful conversations. I think so. So, Nadine, thank you so much for being here. Can you tell us where people can find you and your you, your new YouTube series? So, our new, uh, our new series launches... Uh, Later this summer, so um, if you go to sexedschool.ca, uh, that's our website and uh, that's the portal for everything. We're also on Instagram at sexedschool. And as for me, I am Nadine Thornhill everywhere on the internet, uh, nadinethornhill.com, at Nadine Thornhill on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Nadine Thornhill on YouTube, and you can email me, info at Nadine Thornhill, or just Google Nadine Thornhill and you'll find me. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I always appreciate Nadine's insight and advice for a couple of reasons. First, she's always very practical with her advice. It's nothing esoteric. It's always very specific. And then secondly, I really appreciate that even with diverse groups of parents and learners and teachers, she is willing to meet them exactly where they are. So if you want to tell your kid, for instance, that it's okay to watch porn when you're older, so be it. If you want to tell your child that, you know what, I don't really like porn, here are my issues with porn, that works too. So I think it's important to realize that the best educators and the best, the real experts are those who acknowledge that you are the expert in your parenting skills. You are the ultimate expert in what your children or child can handle. Other than themselves, no one knows them better than you do. And before we go, I want to quickly recap on Nadine's process for talking about porn. So if you see that your child has been interacting with porn online, the first piece is to walk away and come back and talk to them when you're calm. The second is to, once you talk to them, validate, normalize, let them know that it's okay that they're curious. Then you're going to outline your feelings and values about a particular topic and then you're going to open up the floor for questions and keep it open. And then finally, and I think this is so important, you are going to look for other resources to support them in their journey of learning about sexuality, resources that are age appropriate, perhaps resources that better reflect your values. You are going to curate a library of sorts, whether it's digital or video or audio or going to a YouTube series like Sex Ed School hosted by Nadine and co-hosted, there's another host as well, you are going to create their sexual library so that they can discover and learn so that they don't go to Google and YouTube. Because in the absence of comprehensive sex education, in the absence of open communication with parents and other trusted adult 
sources of information, we know that that's where kids are turning. They are turning to Google, they are turning to YouTube, and there is great information out there if you are willing to curate it. And there's also information with which you do not want them to engage. I wonder, where do you think your children are going to learn if they're not learning from professionals or from resources that are helpful? Now, I don't have a child, but looking back, or we don't have children, but looking back at how my parents taught me, it was don't come home with a child because they were uncomfortable having that conversation with me. And as awkward as it might have been for my mom or my dad to say, here are a bunch of resources when I was 10, 11, or 12, at least it would have created somewhat of a foundation for me to refer to as opposed to looking at porn and the pizza delivery dude and thinking that that's how my relationship was going to play out. Because let me tell you, it did not, and it shouldn't have. Because I ate the pizza. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had, a, I had a long-standing relationship with my hand for years. How old were you when your parents told you not to come home with a baby? Uh, I think I was like 17 or 18. So all those years before then, the other thing is I we didn't have access to porn <laughs> nearly as readily as people do today. I remember watching the squigglies, as I called it, late at night. The porn channels come on, and they were all scrambled. And you might see a nipple every now and then, but not know who it, who it was. Because like a Russian satellite crossed with an American satellite yeah. and descrambled it. No, no, they they were they were scrambled. It was those one off nights where they'd be descrambled, and it would be like winning the lottery. You, anyway, I'm not going to get into the one any more titty detail. lottery. <laughs> yeah, one. I saw one titty. But we didn't have access to very much. I remember being nine or 10 and in grade school or, you know, in elementary school and seeing a naked, like everyone seeing a naked body in a dictionary and being interested in what that was all about. And then it kind of progressed when I was, you know, 11, 12, 13 playing hockey. Some of the guys would have a nudie mag. And that was kind of where you started learning because again, I'm not faulting my parents. They may not have been comfortable with it, but they didn't have that discussion with me. So then I learned from what I had access to. The access to information today is a million times what it was then. That's right. Because you're really old and... <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I am. I am. <laughs> and the reality is that young people have more access to not only information, but images and videos and other types of what we call data. And so what they need more than ever is assistance contextualizing that information because we know that they're engaging with the material. So it's our job as adults to provide the context. So I encourage you to check out Sex Ed School, follow along with Nadine Thornhill. Uh, before we go... I think I know the lyrics now to that oh. John Legend song that I was trying to sing. We're going to do humdingers again? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, it goes, will you help me? Legend is just a name. I know better than to be so proud. I won't drink in all this fame. I, I forget this I'll line. Take more, more than, than I'm allowed. And this is the song I was saying I think is about... Should I try it for the voice? No. <laughs> Is he on The Voice? He's on a I show. I think he is. Yeah, okay. maybe. I don't know. He's a rock star, that guy. Yeah. I, I Actually, he did a duet with Chrissy on that show I was referring to. Really? Yeah. It was nothing like the duet we just did was here. It? Oh, I know. Apparently, she has a nice voice, too. I really wanted to grab the mic and start walking around the room and singing. I won't lie. <laughs> okay. Off air. Off air. Off air. You can do that. Thank you, babe. No, thank you for letting me sing. Thanks thank for you. the serenade. No problem. And I guess everyone should thank you for not letting me <laughs> sing. <laughs> One day I'm going to do an Instagram live from our karaoke sessions.
Oh, that'd be epic. Yeah, but you guys never let me have the mic. I know, that's because we're singing Rich Boy and other songs. <laughs> they give me a beer bottle and tell me to pretend it's a mic. <laughs> Here, you use this mic that's not plugged in. <laughs> that's do, not a mic. They let me do backup. Yeah. At least I have, I can boogie. True. <laughs> Folks, thank you so much. Thanks for being here, babe. Wherever you're at, have a lovely week. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.